The saying goes, when you need to lose yourself, you will find yourself in a garden. A beautiful garden can inspire us, restore us, and calm us. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. Of what felt like a lot of rain, although I still think that human beings are very strange. We sit there when it's not raining and we go, oh, I wish it would rain. Then if when it rains, oh, it's raining so much. Where's the sun? But at least the sun is out in Johannesburg today. Some lovely little white, puffy, fluffy clouds passing around, which means we'll probably have a bit of a thunderstorm later. I always think that we can never have too much rain. By the way, talking about water, remember, we're still on level one restrictions in Gauteng. So please use water sparingly and don't wash the roads outside your house. Um, but it is a lovely, lovely day yesterday as well. Big, strong winds coming up, which cool things down. One could have been forgiven for thinking maybe one was in Cape Town, which was a bit odd because, you know, that lovely fresh breeze that you get coming off the sea. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, Johannesburg at this time of the year is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. I think we really do have the best weather here. And I'm sure that people who are going into winter overseas is like maybe thinking, eh, maybe we should come back to South Africa. Not a bad idea. It's still one of the best places to be. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things on Blooming Lovely today. We have a fantastic guest who is one of the top plant breeders in the country. Uh, we have a bit of stuff about indoor plants and, of course, where you can get out to and go and enjoy the outdoors, if not in your own backyard. If you don't have a backyard, some places that you can go and visit. But first of all, because I'm feeling so happy, here's Pharrell Williams. The saying goes, when you need to lose yourself, you will find yourself in a garden. A beautiful garden can inspire us, restore us and calm us. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And yes, no, that was not Pharrell Williams with Happy, but we are going to be bringing you lots of happiness throughout the course of the next hour. Of course, that was Earth, Wind and Fire in one of the best months of the year, September, which is when spring starts here in Johannesburg and South Africa, well, in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, although we're not in September, we're now in November. So what are we looking at when it comes to November and plant of the week. Well, I'm going indoors for a moment here because um, a lot of people, as I said, we don't actually have gardens. Well, I have a garden, but a lot of people don't have gardens. So they're doing stuff inside. Um, and of course, one of the easiest things to grow if you have enough sun are succulents. And one of the most beautiful succulents I've seen in a very, very long time, which really looks good at this time of the year, is a Kalanchoe. And this particular species, the Blosfeldiana, is one of the prettiest, most popular representatives of the succulent family. Um, it actually comes from Madagascar originally. Um, but the original genus name is Chinese. Um, so I know some people say, well, Kalankui, Kalankoi, Choi, but I just say Kalankoi because it's much easier. But people will understand what you're saying wherever you go. So now generally your Kalankoi, you'll get long, tall, lanky ones with blooms in orange and red. But over the years, they've been hybridizing them and developing them into a more compact um, plant with lots and lots of flowers in a wide variety of flowers with not just your oranges and reds, but yellows and pinks and purples and even whites. So, I mean, if you want to look after these things, they're really simple. Like most succulents, don't overwater them. Okay. If you're putting them near a window, don't put them that they get like um, heavy light coming through the window. Um, because the windows intensify the light source. It might burn their leaves, but you do want to have a bright indirect light. 
Um, ensure your pots have got enough drainage holes, allow the soil to dry out between the waterings. Um, if it's really hot, then you need to just check that your moisture level in your pot obviously is good. Uh, you can use foliar feed every couple of weeks during the growing season. Deadhead them. This is what we say with all the plants as well, with the exception of some, which we are going to talk about in a moment. Deadhead your roses, deadhead um, even dahlias uh, and, and other plants that you can get more plants coming through so that they will keep on flowering over and over again. Now, these kalanchoes can also be grown in a shady area outdoors on patios. Um, and an interesting fact about them, a mutant kalanchoe was discovered by a Swedish grower in 1998 with 32 petals instead of four. And now it's actually been put into its own little name subspecies called Kalandiva. Isn't that lovely? So that's the indoor plant of the week or the plant of the week as well. But my plant, and I think I say this all the time, that I absolutely love and would never be without. And it's a common, ordinary garden variety plant to most people. But I still think it is it's one of the stars of the botanical world. And that is the Agapanthus, Aggie's Panties. Now, a person who's been playing around with these Aggies panties here in South Africa, because a lot of the time our plants will go overseas, our indigenous plants, and then people overseas start breeding them there, and then they get brought back here and we pay an absolute fortune. And I've been moaning for years about the fact that South Africans should be doing our own breeding here. We should be leading the world with our plants, not letting the rest of the world do it. And somebody who is doing this, not just with agapanthus, but with aloes and with your plectranthus and all kinds of things, is Andy DeVette from the Aloe Farm. Good morning, Andy. Hi, Melanie. <laughs> so lovely, lovely to see you. a day today. It is a beautiful great. day. I'm, I'm looking day. at... I'm looking at Andy and he's sitting here and there's a beautiful blue sky in the background. The light is fantastic. Are you out in the Harties area at the moment as well? No, no, I live in four ways. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a lovely day, as I was saying here in Johannesburg. But of course, the Allo Farm is just out past Harties. Yes, yes. And uh, it's a it's a destination nursery. We do a lot of research. It's a bit of a research nursery as well because we do a lot of plant breeding. And uh, one of the plants we breed with, as you say, is Agapanthus. And uh, it's been very exciting this year because we've released two amazing new Agapanthus at the Allofarm and the other nurseries as well. Well, tell us about these ones because I think we're so used to Having, now, he's, he's bringing the agapanthus into the picture for me to see. So well, we're going to have to describe it because people can't see it. So we're going to have to describe it. Now, I'm looking at this, and it looks like it's got a very deep purple with a black it's, underside. What is the name of this agapanthus? It's called Black Jack. And uh, I've got oh. a Facebook page for, for the Aloform, uh, and uh, I put it on there, and we released it about two weeks ago. And it, it has an overwhelming... Um, successful people have just gone mad for it because of the color. I wanted to set a benchmark for dark, strong flowering plant with with full heads and that flowers grows easily and flowers a lot. You know. Okay, so getting into this because I mean I think about the what are the original kind of aloe species plants? I mean I know you get the inapertus which you find in the yeah. grasslands through Mpumalanga and that's kind of a very dark purple with a drooping head. So it's, how do you how do you go about creating new plants? I mean, this you know it's it's crazy to me that this can happen. It's like some kind of weird alchemy. Melody, it's very exciting. It's um, 
It's like a little bit like us. Look at us, we humans, and we all look a little bit different. So that happens in the plant world as well. So what we do when we start breeding with a genus like Agapanthus, we go and look for all the extreme forms that we can find so that we start with a very wide genetic base. And then um, there are a lot of um, hidden ancestral genes and colors that one has to try and sometimes just a whisper of a color. And we need to try and strengthen that and crystallize that out into a single plant. Obviously, it's also got to have all the other attributes that you want, strong, healthy, growing plant with lots of flowers and extended flowering seasons, all that kind of thing, you know. Hmm. Now, the last I'm going to change the subject just for a second. We will get back to it. The last time um, you and I chatted, Andy, was actually on Mansfield today, um, yeah. a few months back. Um, and of course, I would like to at this stage just pay tribute to one of the the best broadcasters that our country has ever had, Jeremy Mansfield. And it was an absolute joy to have worked with him. Um, over the years, and especially over the last two years, where we were doing Mansfield today, of course, then we got Andy in to talk to us about the Aloe Festival. We will get onto your Aloes in a moment because Andy also does those. Yeah, but we were, I mean, we were lucky to be on on the on his final show, you and I. Yeah, the final show that we did for yes. the gardening section a, of Mansfield today, and it's it, I mean, it's I, a real yeah. privilege, you know. Yeah, and I must just tell you that. Um, I know that you probably have a lot of more frogs out in the hard beer sport area. Now we don't really get frogs in the area that I live and especially not in the house. But on the day that Jeremy passed away this past week, I was sitting here in the evening and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something. My cats were looking and thinking, Oh, what is, what is this? And it was not quite the size of a bullfrog, but a really large frog decided to come hopping through my lounge. And I thought, well, maybe I'm seeing something. Definitely wasn't tequila, and I didn't lick anything either, <laughs> because we always talk about those frogs that you lick. And I thought, okay, maybe I was imagining it, but the next thing it came out from underneath the couch and started climbing up the fire guard. So that for me was just Jeremiah the bullfrog and Jeremy coming to say hi. How often do you get a frog jumping in? Wait, anyway, so I digress. Jeremy, wherever you are, you are sorely missed, and to all of his really, really good friends and to his family, I'm sure Andy will join me in saying our sincere condolences to just absolute absolute mensch of a man. What a man. Anyway, so we were talking about aloes with with Jeremy with the last time we chatted. But now, I mean, Agapanthus at the moment, you have an Agapanthus festival on, which I believe is still on until the end of next weekend. Yes. So because uh, we have a very big gene pool and we can't release every nice plant that we have. We have quite a big collection of genetics that we use in our breeding and it's always nice this time of the year to have a festival because we do a huge display mm. and um, we put out all these these really exciting plants for people to see a little bit of the engine room where we do a lot of the breeding. Okay, so, so what actually, I mean, what goes into it? I sit there and I can imagine you're in this little sterile environment with this plant and that plant and you're sitting there with your um, earbud and like cross-pollinating the plants. Is that what goes into it or do you do tissue well, splicing or what? We do all sorts of different things, but for Agapanthus, we only do um, uh, a traditional plant breeding. 
which means that we take pollen, we select two parents, we take the pollen of the one and pollinate the other and then raise the seedlings. Obviously, the selection of parents is very important. And then we raise the seedlings and we pick out the best. We do about 12,000 a year hand-pollinated seedlings. We raise them as quickly as we can to flower and then uh, we pick out only the very best. So out of 12,000 this year, we released two. Will they flower in the first year? That, uh, we've speeded it up. It normally takes about two years, but we've speeded it up and we sometimes get them to flower within a year now, especially the, the smaller varieties. Okay. So now, you, I mean, agapanthus, when we think about when we were growing up, as I said a little earlier, there was like that lavender purple color. That was agapanthus on the whole, yeah. and maybe some white ones here and there. Yeah. How many different varieties and colors are there now available these days? Yeah. It's hard to say because there's shades and blends of different colors. So um one of our most popular, well, two of our most popular ones are bicolored flowers. So it's a white flower with a strong blue base. And that was, that one is called Twister. It's now being sold worldwide and it's very popular. And then uh, we've got a similar one, but that's called Fireworks because the flowers sort of droop down when they open. And uh, that's a, a sort of a, a purple color with white. And um, and it's um, also very popular. Actually, it won a prize at the Chelsea Flower Show in the UK for one of the best new plants of the year. Now, this is great that we're actually, as I was saying, we have South African breeders creating new varieties of South African plants. How how big is the sort of the competition, if you want to put it that way, um, between breeders overseas and somebody like you to actually get the better plant? Melanie, um, they've probably been breeding acapanthus for about 120 years, in the UK especially and in other countries. Um, and... Uh, Nobody comes close to what we're doing at the moment. Um, the main reason is because it's an indigenous plant. So we have access to all the different variations and things and uh, varieties that are out there and, and deviations of the, of the, of the species. So um, we use that wide green gene pool and um, now we have been breeding so intensely and scientifically that I'm afraid nobody can catch us anymore. And I'm proud to say that because, as you say, the outland should be bred in South Africa. I absolutely couldn't agree more. But I'm always fascinated by, okay, so you've got two parent plants. How do you know that if you crossbreed a very dark purple agapanthus with a white one, that you're not just going to get like a color that comes out like a pale purple. How do you make it happen that you get one that will get purple and white in the flower? Melanie, it's all in the numbers. So I like to normally say that a husband and wife can, God forbid, have a thousand kids. None of them will look exactly like the parents. No. And not one of them not that not nobody would be able to predict what the next one's going to be. So, um, except if you have identical mystery. twins, Andy. <laughs> except when you have identical twins, but nobody can predict what actually is going to happen. But you know what the parents are going to give you. So we look for Superman and Supergirl, and we we marry them, 
and uh, then we hope to get those colors. But it does come down to large numbers where we still have to select which ones we prefer. And then a lot of them actually get uh, don't make the cut, the majority by far. Out of how many plants that you actually trial, how many of them will actually make it to the shelves because they're now a standard and they will keep coming back true to form every time? Well, they'll always come through true to form. The most um, often asked question with Agapanthus is, if I plant blue and white together, will they all become blue or something like that? And they can't because the genetics are fixed. So they'll mm-hmm. always stay true to, to form. To, true to color and um, I think Agapanthus we've released about 20 30 maybe I can't remember um, uh, but we've probably produced um, I think about 500,000 300,000 <laughs> really okay yes. that's that's quite a that's quite a big thing to kind of bring down to a small number <laughs> That's why the plant, well-bred plants are normally expensive in the beginning, especially mm. because it's very costly to do that. But it's rewarding to know that you've got something which is an improvement on the original. Okay. Now, when it comes to agapanthus, and I'm, and I'm like an unabashed fan girl of them, you either hate them or you love them. Okay. Why is it that there is this antipathy by so many people towards agapanthus? Is it because they're just seen as like a verge plant? And some people might say that a bit common, but um, uh, they are more, much more people love them than don't love them, I can assure you. Um, because agapanthus and agapanthus, everybody should plant them because they are so easy. They're indigenous. They grow easily. They they're water-wise, they look after themselves. They, you plant them and you can almost just forget about them. If you feed them, of course, they will flower a lot more. But they are so easy and they're very rewarding. They flower a lot. So um, they flower very beautifully. That's why they are sought after worldwide. You can go to any country and you'll see them in the gardens because people just absolutely love agapanthus. But they're um, not repeat flowerers, are they? Well, um, originally not, but our hybrids are. Okay, so I believe that you've been working on having an agapanthus that will flower all year round. Oh, How yes. far have you gotten with that? Are we up to like 11 months of the year flowering? Um, we've got agapanthus like buccaneer that that will flower, flush in, in this time of the year, but it will randomly flower throughout the year. And... Um, then we have pop and purple that also flowers throughout the year and um, things like bingo blue and bingo white agapanthus flower f- for a, a very long time and randomly push out flowers whenever. So the whole idea is people, the gardens are getting smaller. So um, people want um, more <laughs> instant gratification. So uh, they want plants that flower a lot more. And that's what we do. We just, we, that's part of the breeding process. It's quite hard to actually um, uh, change a plant from flowering once a year to all year. But we've got, we've, we've got that done now. It's, it's, it's happening. Especially the very new varieties we're releasing now are extreme uh, repeat bloomers. Well, that's that's the important thing because I mean I think one of the questions we get the most is I want a plant which is going to give me color all year round and like until now we've all been going 
No, you can't have that. You need to have different plants in your garden that will come through at different times of the year to continue with your yes. color scheme, yes. even if you bring it in with foliage or whatever. So now I'm, I'm glad that I'm going to be able to say, okay, get agapanthus, particularly these agapanthus, because then you will probably have color. But then you also need to have different varieties within the genus itself so that you will have different color at different times of the year as well. Yes. You could now create such a colorful garden with, we've got all different shades of white, purple, blue, um, small, big, um, mauve, those kind of colors in different shades. So you can create at different heights. So mm-hmm. you can create a very colorful garden just using acapanthus. Now, one thing that you did let slip a little while ago to me was that you have been working with getting a pink one. And of course, I love pink. I love purple. I mean, lilac the best, but I love pink. How's that going? And when am I going to get one? Well, it always takes long to put a plant out in the market, but we are very far down that road. Very, very far down that road. So it's just all you're going to say. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. It's, I've got to keep things something secret, but, um, that's my part of the, the a breeder, what a breeder should do, but watch this space. It's on its way. Okay, so now we talk about agapanthus. So that's not the only plants that you're playing with. Okay, obviously the aloe farm, the place is known as an aloe farm. And of course, going out there for the aloe festival, which is what, about July, August? The um, end of June, beginning of July is our, our aloe festival every year. And it is absolutely glorious. I mean, if you happen to be driving along the road and you weren't expecting to see this, it's one of those things that you will screech to a halt and go in and have a look. Now, how long have you been um, breeding aloes? Next year in our aloe festival, I'm going to have a celebration. 50 years of aloe breeding. Wow, Andy, that's um, who, who started it, first of all? I started in 1973 to make my first hybrids. I was a student still, so I'm a bit older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Trust me, listeners, he does not look as old as I'm, I'm sitting here and thinking, so how old are you? Are you like Derek Watts? Okay, you're one of those people who doesn't age and has never told anybody how old they are. It's one of those things going on. I know this. Um, okay, so when it comes to the aloes, I mean, we obviously – there's a, a big difference these days about you talk about your species aloes and then, of course, all of your hybrids. So what are the original species ones that you would find, say, in the felt or in the wild that have not been kind of messed with by man? Well, there's 550 different aloe species. Well, <laughs> so, shall I list them all for you? I don't think no, no, no. Just time. the most important <laughs> ones in the, like in the felting. Let's go for those. Okay. No, well, you look, um, the uh, um, important one, um, to know about is aloe marlotti, which is a tall one that you, that unfortunately unscrupulous collectors are selling them next to the road, which um, has a massive impact on the bird populations wherever they dig them out. Mm. That's one of your most common ones. And then there's another one called aloe daviana, which is also a small pink aloe that flowers in winter. That the aloes flower in winter because they feed the birds in winter. Okay, but you also get summer flowering aloes. Yes, you do. But um, in the wild, mostly they flower in winter because the aloes have seen a gap where the birds are hungry and there's nobody, no, no other plant to feed them. So they flower then because the birds in, in turn pollinate them again. But people, okay, so people, 
You know, you the get, elephant. You get different flowers, though. You get to, you've got because you're um, you're talking about the birds, and I know a lot of people will come out to the farm to come and look at the birds that you've got because you've got the most incredible sunbirds and all kinds of stuff. So it's a great place yeah. for twitchers to visit as well. But the the shape of the aloe flower is dependent, I think, sometimes on the shape of the bird's beak. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, they're adapted to um, to feed the birds, basically. Um, I can't tell you everything now. I don't think we have enough time, but um, that's what they do. But, um, you know, um, you were saying about um, the aloe farm. You know, it is – if you if people can, can visit the aloe farm that can't get there, can look at the aloe farm's Facebook page because there we put interesting things and they can see what we're doing all the time on that. No, but nothing beats the real thing. Let's be oh, honest. Oh no, of course not. <laughs> so uh, you can look at you can look at women and invite, admire them for how long, but to have one sitting next to you is the real thing. That's so much. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Thank you for that. One. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we're just looking at pictures of each other at the moment, and I think we've yeah. all become a little bit too insular. So it is one of those things that I, I challenge people to go out and go and have a look at what we have out there. Go and yes. visit places you haven't been to before, especially this one, because when I came out there. When was the last time I was out there? About two years ago, before yes. we went into, uh, when we had just come out of that very hard lockdown. Yes. And I managed to get out there because we were shooting for the home channel to do, um, Beyond the Hedge. And we did this beautiful thing about the aloes and you took me through. And there's the tiny, tiny little aloes. The smallest one I've got in my garden now, you called Marilyn. Because it's beautiful, yes. kind of a peachy pink colored flower which droops down, but it comes up on the end. So it looks like Marilyn it's, Monroe standing on the subway with her dress flying around the place. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's a, a little beautiful. mini aloe. And then, right. of course, you've got the, the huge um, tree aloes as well. Yes, we've got one called Samson, mm. um, uh, like Samson and Delilah in the, in the Bible. Yeah. We've got Samson, and because it's a big, strong aloe that grows, it looks like a quiver tree. It's a beaut. And we've got a lot of different um, plants now because I say we've been doing. I've been doing it a bit too long. <laughs> <laughs> but how many aloe? I mean, do you keep on creating new aloes every single year, or putting out a new variety every year? Every year. I mean, so there's some though. I know you you put a picture up the one time where you're standing there and saying this. I mean, and it was a plant that was bigger than you, taller than you. But you did, weren't happy with the way that the leaves actually formulated. So you said, it's a beautiful plant. Look at the flower on this, but it's not going to make it to the shelves. Yeah. So um, this is the thing. They have to, especially if you've been doing breeding for a while, you have to create something which is better in all aspects. So it's almost impossible to get the, um, to get all the characteristics perfect. But um, uh, but we have to try and then... Um, and then select from there. So, oh, there's a lot of different ones we've created. And there's the more you breed with them, the more you see possibilities of creating something that would be unique and, and cool in a different way again. So, I mean, aloes, which is your favorite? I know this is a silly question to ask because it's it's like one of those things like, or oh, the yellow ones, and like, this is my favorite in the yellows, and this is my favorite in the bigs. Which is, your, which is the one you're most proud of? The one I'm most proud of is called Allo Charles. Now, Allo Charles I named after my dad. It's a beautiful Allo, and it is extremely popular. And, uh, and I named it after my dad because he helped in the selection of it. 
And um, I planted that and one named after my mom as well on their grave. And this last winter, they were both flowering beautifully for my two parents that passed more than 10 years ago. And this is the beauty of what I do is even long after I'm gone, people will still be loving Alec Charles and all the other hybrids we've made. Have we gotten Andy yet? Um not really. I've got some that I call Andy's yellow, Andy's red. Those are my selections of, of plants, but they're not really. No. You, know <laughs> you have to have a, a, a cool name. I mean, Andy is not a, it's not a, a catchy plant name, you know? Well, I don't know. I, I kind of like the name. Andy, Andy, who's doing all these wonderful things. <laughs> my, but, <laughs> my, my family are always asking me, when are you going to name a plant after me? And, uh, some of them just their names are unsuitable. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not going to ask what their names are. But no, but I think about aloes in the wild. And I mean, especially in the Eastern Cape, you know, when the winter came through, there'd be all of those Krantz aloes, the arborescents um, doing and, its thing. And ferox. And, and the ferox aloes. And I remember walking up Long Hill in Queenstown and forgetting to take water, but you could just, because the dew had been trapped in those very sturdy leaves. So you just pull the leaf down and you could drink all of the water out of there. And, but yes. the flower, the flowers for me have always been orange. Okay. The color of an aloe to me and I think to a majority of people has always been that orange color. But now there are so many different colors. I mean, you talk about the red, you talk about the yellows. How did those all come through? Oh, because there's so many different species, there's so many possibilities of actually um, capturing. There's several yellows in the wild, but um, the ones we've made is much more vibrant yellow because we've just um, uh, concentrated the pigment in the flowers. We just kept on selecting for the yellowest of the yellows, um, uh, for example. Um, so that's, that's, that's a very important part is to actually, the plants have to be better than the ones that you see in the wild. Mm. Otherwise, now, for, you, otherwise it's a waste of time. Okay. For, for people who've got a small garden, okay, obviously putting in a whole bunch of Molothiis or the Samsons is going to be a bit problematic. A lot of it won't work. And especially, I mean, with the tree aloe, I mean, the amount of people I know who are saying, oh, I need to relocate my tree aloe because it's quite close to a wall. And everybody thinks, oh, no, it's an aloe. I can plant it next to a wall. And then they don't realize that this thing can get up to, what, about um, half a meter in diameter at least? Uh, the, uh, the tree aloes can grow to about 30 meters, and the base could be about at least three meters across. So not a good plant for a small garden. So what would be your top pick for a smaller garden if you want to have aloes in? You know, if it's a small garden, I would go for, I've got one called Tiger Eye. Mm-hmm. And I've got one now, this last year we released the Tiger Eye Red. So Tiger Eye is a smallish sort of seated aloe, it doesn't make a stem, but it also will flower throughout the year. And we've got one, Ravenkas Pride, that a friend of mine helped me with. Is and um, that also flowers throughout the year. And there's several of those. I've got a smallish pot plant, yellow one called goldfish, that will also flower throughout the year. And so you're of a magician. <laughs> That's so, all you are. <laughs> I'm just using what God put in my hands. That's what I'm doing. And um, uh, uh, the uh, 
the yellow one like goldfish. I mean, those little aloes, you could actually make a very nice, nice garden for it. You could pick it to suit if it's a rockery or, or a pot or whatever. They're very suitable and easy, you know, very easy. Mm. Again, I was talking about the Kalankoe, obviously a succulent variety as well, which people can grow indoors in indirect bright light. Yeah. Um, what aloes would do well in a pot, say, inside, and, and what kind of conditions would you make, have to make sure they have to be able to flourish? We've got, we've got a, we've got a, a huge selection of very attractive miniature aloes, like Marilyn. Mm-hmm. There's a few others, oh, I can think of goblin and I said goldfish and there's, uh, uh, oh, there's many. And, um, they all suitable in little pots. And, um, you could put, but you should normally put an aloe where it gets a lot of light, um, on a windowsill or something. Okay. So we've got, we've got an aloe for every situation at this stage. Yes. Now it's, Wonderful to see the aloes in flower. Is there anything in flower in the way of aloes at the moment if people come through to check out the Agapanthus Festival? Um, there's, there's quite a few aloes flowering in our gardens now. A lot of our, our we've got a area that is the, um, the African plants that aloes that occur in Africa north of our borders and um, in the tropical areas. They don't know when is summer and winter because they're on the equator. A lot yeah. of those will flower now. And, um, and, uh, in our gardens, we always have quite a lot of aloes flowering, but the aloe farm at the moment is spectacular. Is it Absolutely. just purple? <laughs> well, it's, it, we've got so many other plants as well because we don't only grow aloes and agapanthus. We do, we do a lot of different, there's always plants that nobody else has got. And, um, have nobody seen before that we have at the farm. Oh, do tell. It's a great destination and we have amazing bonsais as well. We do, we grow our own bonsais as well for years and years and we have Absolutely amazing bonsai. So it really is the kind of nursery, if you love plants, to come and just wander around in, you know. Yeah, when I was wandering around the one time, I saw some like really renowned um, landscapers and garden designers wandering through your your spot as well, like Patrick Watson. And it's like I was the heroes of the of the world. So if they're going there, then I think it's definitely a place we all need to go to. But tell me about some of these little specials. I mean, we, we'll get onto some of the plectranthus in a moment, but of course is something that you would want to grow mainly in the shade. And they are, of course, another South African indigenous plant, which has done so incredibly well, so many different varieties. But what are some of the other ones that you say that you won't see anywhere else? Come on, Um, fess up, fess up. Well, the Plectranthus family, of course, as you mentioned, we have have a Plectranthus that has hit the world by storm. It's called the Plectranthus Magic Mona. And Must be a sport of Mona Lavender. It, it's, it's a similar breeding. Different, but similar breeding, but just a, up, a total upgrade from uh, uh, Mona Lavender. Okay. Total upgrade. All right, I'm going to find out more about those. Um, Plectranthus uh, Lane and find out all about this. We'll find out what those plants need right after this. Stay with us. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And yes, it's a blooming, lovely Sunday, and I'm having a blooming, lovely time with Andy DeVette from the Aloe Farm. We're talking about agapanthus and all the wonderful indigenous plants that we have here in South Africa. And it's been an interesting thing over the years for me that so many people are like, 
oh no, I want to like have a cottage garden. Um, and then they're like, I don't want to have any indigenous plants because they're so scruffy. Whereas I kind of, I do have a mix of both. But as I said, I will never be without agapanthus in my space. And one of the other plants that I will never be without, of course, for the shady areas are plectranthus because they are just the most incredible plants. Because I started off with three, just three of the Eclonii, which is the one which gets to about a meter in height, creates a lovely little kind of bush, big pink spurs of flowers that come out through around about January and go through into autumn and self-seeded themselves all over my garden. So now I have an entire hedge of plectranthus. Um, what is so special about plectranthus, Andy? Why have, you know, they become also another one of the world's favorites? Oh man, plectranthus is, I love them as well. And we've been breeding with them. Um, they, it's a very diverse genus, very diverse. You get, uh, uh, succulent, succulent plectranthus. Uh, they come in so many different forms. Very good hanging basket plants as well. There's, there, there's such a, an enormous variety and they extremely diverse. So, uh, and, and somehow it's a very good plant. A lot of the varieties are very good for a shady garden, especially sometimes in a corner of your garden, you have trees and it's maybe a little bit neglected. It's not mm-hmm. a place that you normally would, but you don't want to see the bare earth underneath. A lot of the Plectranthus varieties will do extremely well. If you just plant them there and you basically almost forget them. Mm-hmm. Um, they will just fill up that space and they flower. And of course, what, what I like about Plectranthus is the, uh, there's a, a, a handful of high felt butterfly species who have the Plectranthus is their, is their food plant. So, um, you would attract the commodores. Uh, uh, as a butterfly, uh, uh, there's a set of three or four of them that will come to your high felt garden and they're of the most beautiful butterflies that will come and visit your garden because you planted thick planters. So which ones are you saying that would work well in the hanging basket? Would that be the Mona Lavender? Um, no, Mona Lavender is more a, um, a, uh, uh, a plant for a shady garden. It doesn't, it doesn't, a cascade very well. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, oh boy, there's quite a lot of them. And, um, Nucleus is a succulent one. You know, your hanging baskets, it's often a good idea to plant succulentish type of plectranthus in your, um, uh, or, or, or plant, uh, no, let me not put it, succulent plants in hanging baskets. When you go to Europe, You'll always see the most beautiful wall boxes and, 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 and hanging baskets full of color, black petunias, all those things. That doesn't really work so well in South Africa because of our hot, dry climate. Mm. So there are things like Plectranthus, and the one I, I think of immediately is Nucleus, the variegated form. If you, if you, if you plant that with the, uh, uh, uh Kalinkoe six angularis, mm. which has got those dark red leaves, and you plant something else, which is a bit of a filler with them, you will have an extremely colorful, colorful, um, uh, hanging basket. Or just, uh, you can do it in a rockery as well. You know, you, you, you plant the different ones like that. 
Yeah, I've, I've loved them. And in Cape Town, I see that a lot of people have been using them on their verges. Instead of having grass, they go and they fill up the verge with the neochelis. And in fact, a lot of shopping centers have started doing it as well. And they yes. still get those little spur flowers. So you get that pop of like a very pale lavender color coming through every now and yes. then as well. Plant yes. those up with the Macqualand daisies. They're very low growing and it just looks fantastic. And mm. apparently, Dogs don't like the smell of them, so they won't come and roll around on your verge. Is that true? I'm not sure about that. I haven't <laughs> tested it like that. But uh, they do have a, a fairly strong uh, uh, herb-like smell if you crush the leaves. But, I mean, other varieties is Zuluensis and Ciliatus. There's quite a few of them that are really good for a garden, you know, um, for, for one's garden. It's, it's, they're amazing. But now talking about the scent, this is one of the things with all three plants that we've been discussing, okay? One doesn't think about going up and smelling an agapanthus. One thinks about smelling roses. One will think about smelling um, freesias. But with aloes, it's the same thing. We don't really think of them as being scented plants. Are there in the plectranthus, agapanthus, and aloe families scented varieties? Well, there was an agapanthus, a white agapanthus a while back, uh, about 20 years ago that was put on the market as a scented agapanthus. But yes, if you come close, you could smell a little bit of a scent, but they're not really there for, they, they, they attract, um, they attract, they, they, they don't attract the uh, insects that are attracted by scent. But when it comes to aloes, we've got a little one called crunchy that has got the sweetest, strong aroma. It's a potlant one with very nice little spiny leaves. Mm-hmm. And you could put that on your windowsill, and when that flowers, it's got a very strong sweet scent. And with the plectranthus? The plectranthus? Mm, no, not really. They don't no. really have scented flowers, no. But, no, so they're wonderful plants just for color and for form and to keep going year after year after year and to actually be there, with the exception of the plectranthus, which, of course, will die back in the winter time. but then you don't cut them back. You leave them there because it protects them from the frost, obviously. But they are kind of just your stalwarts of any garden, really, those three varieties. Yes. Well, Melanie, you sound like a typical consumer. You want everything in one plant. <laughs> of <laughs> course, we all want that. <laughs> I know, it's not possible, we, but we do. As you say, if you plant your garden carefully, you could have scent throughout the year. You could have flowers, one following up on the other. But there are a lot of plants do have to take a break. Even if you think of roses, they in October they're at their best. Mm. But then often they... They take a break throughout the year before they, it comes to their flowering season again. And that's yeah. what gardening is about, is, is the, the excitement of waiting for certain things to come through. Like at the moment with the jacarandas, and everybody's doing thousands of pictures of jacarandas. Unless you live underneath one of them, of course, you have your purple carpet, and then it turns to brown sludge and you fall on your butt because you slide <laughs> on the dead flowers. Um, but it, there is that excitement. It's tangible. You don't want – for me, I don't want something that's there the whole year. Winter comes – we get into June and my um, flowering quince is suddenly just full of flowers. And then spring comes and your bulbs come through and you get those amazing colors and the scents. So for me, that's that's probably the most exciting thing about gardening is well, being patient um, and waiting. Melanie, you know that this is why gardening is so such fun and it's therapeutic um, because um, there's – 
it's not a it's not a dead thing. It's something that's continuously evolving and changing. And um and as you say, you you have the different seasons, different things coming into flower. And if the world was if everybody in the world just were true gardeners, we would have a much a better place here because they say gardeners are the happiest people on earth. Why? Because we're always looking forward to something to bloom, to flower, to grow out, to bud, to sprout. That is Absolutely. the excitement of gardening because it's evolving, it's changing, it's growing in and improving all the time. Um, I, I, that's what I love what about my job too. But I mean, you know, you, you're not having to work a day in your life because you're doing something you love. So it's not a, it's not a job, is it actually? It's a, it's a hobby gone wrong. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it, I suppose. But now the one thing that we do need to just address very, very quickly is that obviously with the majority of plants, you're always going to have a pest. I know that the Christmas beetles have come really early this year because yes. people are bringing me in their leaves from their roses, which have been made into lace. And I'm like, well, there's not much you can do about it at this stage because those little Christmas beetles are now at the end of their life cycle. So, mm. you know, you have to just watch it. But for agapanthus, um, I think with the exception of possibly the lily borer, there's not very many issues that no, you would there's, have there's, pest-wise. There's, there's very few. They do have some some diseases. There is a Yes, there's a, a caterpillar that could get into agapanthus, but they're generally very hardy. And uh, But remember, if your garden doesn't get eaten, there's a saying that it's not part of the habitat. So um, you you will always, if you've got a lush garden, there will always be something coming in you, into your garden. But it's not never necessarily a big problem, you know. Mm. Um, uh, 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 this are hardy and easy, you know, and they'd attract birds and butterflies to your garden more mm. than they would um, pests and diseases. Okay, and Plectranthus, I don't think I've ever seen anything except maybe sometimes we were having like a lot of wet weather. The leaves might get a little bit of that um, powdery well, mildew on them. They could get mildew if they're not planted well. One should always plant with a lot of compost, good drainage and some bone meal. All your plants, so they've got strong roots, they'll be more, they'll be more or less susceptible, but um, you can get fungal diseases, that kind of thing, but it's minimal. And um, look, I think that if people contact us, especially on our Facebook page and ask us, we can always give advice because we mm. do. We do a lot of research on the chemicals that are available and the remedies and the diseases. So uh, uh, I feel, think our company is very well placed to actually help people. But that's um, it's not it's 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 not a negative thing in a garden, you know. No, you've got to have like biodiversity and um, have other things coming in to feed the good beneficial stuff that's coming in too. But mm. um, with aloes, though, I know the one big issue that a lot of people have with aloes. Um, is not the problem which I've suddenly developed on one or two of mine, which is snout beetle, which is just an absolute nightmare, is yes. the aloe aphid. And, I mean, I've just seen so many really big tree- aloes covered in this white stuff, and people don't know how to deal with it. And it's quite easy, really. you just got to wash them off. <laughs> yeah, it's a scale. It's not an aphid. It's a scale. It's oh, sorry, a white scale. scale. Yeah, the white aloe yeah. scale. So um yeah the 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 that you could just wash it off if it's smallish aloes oleum is uh, is non toxic so it's a it's an oil based thing or you could just physically brush it off the leaves and um and and your plant will be fine again you know yeah 
So, I mean, everything, I mean, those, I mean, this is the thing about using indigenous plants, uh, and even if you're not using endemic plants to your particular area, if you're using indigenous plants, they're going to have a better way, a, a bit, better life and a life expectancy than a lot of the exotics. Yes. Yeah, sometimes, like I've, I've got, always will have a wild peach in my garden because it attracts a certain butterfly, a, a caterpillar, which is, the um, uh, a Korea uh, uh, orange butterfly that come in hordes to your garden. They eat a few of the leaves, but you ignore that. But then there's there's a secondary thing that can happen in your garden because then you get the the didgeridoo cuckoo. The didgeridoo mm-hmm. cuckoo will will eat the larvae and the butterflies again. So can you see how you could could you have a whole uh, uh, a bio biodiverse uh, uh, ecosystem in your garden or in your area if everybody planted indigenous plants. I think that you are, we don't have to plant just indigenous because obviously I no, mean, no, some people no. are, yeah. But Andy, of course, now if anybody wants to come through, the best way to get through to where your aloe farm is, is let me see if I can remember this right. Go out past Lance area, hit the Broderstrom T junction, turn left, go along, take the damn wall over, carry on, pass through Cosmos. Get to that big four-way junction where there is the market. Turn left, and it's just down yeah. on the left-hand side. Is that right? Um, yeah, but if you can't remember all of that, <laughs> it's, on, go- it's on the just Google all the ways or ask us because it's near Hartbeersburg and it's easy to find. And we are we are on the maps, and that you can even phone us for directions if you get lost. Fantastic, and I think I'm going to have to come through before the hello uh, the. The Agapanthus Festival finishes because, it's, of course, I'm such an Agapanthus nut. It's and completely changed to what you the two years ago, so you must come. I will indeed, and I suggest to anybody who's listening, get out there. Even if you don't manage to make it through during the festival, do make a little dry out there. There's lots of restaurants, lots of other stuff to see as well. There's a You've got a tea room now at the Aloe Farm as well. If you like the birds, take binoculars, go out to make it a family day, have some fun out in the northwest. Andy, thank you so very much for joining us today. Oh, Lovely to see you again. And of course, it's an absolute pleasure. And for anybody who's out there listening and thinking, what shall I do with the rest of my day? Well, go outside and enjoy the rest of the sunshine before the rain comes back again. Okay, get outside, go barefoot, stand on some grass, get grounded, feel nature talking to you and go and smell a flower you know if i know your roses may not still be flowering at the moment but just get out there and enjoy nature and your garden i'll catch you again next week until then take very good care bye-bye